Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in this special episode, we are talking about our thoughts on The Subtle Knife as a whole. same room as each other oh my god oh my god (laughs) well hello hello i'm talking to you from behind this mic so you can barely see my face (laughs) it's basically like we're doing it on google hangouts except for this time i can see less of your face (laughs) because we've both got big old pop shields in front of our faces (laughs) so this episode might sound a bit different because we're recording in the same room so there's some like technical stuff that we have to learn how to do to make it sound nice so hopefully we've managed that and if we haven't we can only apologize <laughs> yeah true it's very weird being recording in the same room i'm looking at you right in the eye <laughs> <laughs> i hate it it's like how did we used to do it before when we sat literally across the table from each other just staring at each other for like two hours we used to make a lot of really intense eye contact and then we went to like only seeing each other through a screen for a year and a half <laughs> yeah 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 it's literally well when was the last time we recorded in person it's like a, over a year ago yeah it must have been so if you remember it was a couple of weeks before the first lockdown we said that we were going to record it remotely anyway just in case we ever needed to uh and then lockdown happened so it was it must have been like mid beginning to mid-march in 2020 i think we must have done it just after i moved house because i was like oh it's really far to get to your house to record can we try and do a remote one just to see for the in case i ever can't get the bus or oh, did we to get to your house oh did we do it in february because i feel like you might have still been at your old flat i don't know but yeah we did it just in time for the pandemic yes but now we're back in the same room again but with two mics because thanks to our amazing patrons we were able to buy a new microphone which means now i am i'm still borrowing music johnny's microphone but Faye has her own microphone <laughs> i do i do have my own microphone i feel very privileged to have yes. my own microphone but also having two microphones and recording in the same room makes it much more difficult because of technical shit yeah it's like simultaneously better and worse <laughs> <laughs> so we're just gonna see how it goes yes yay well how are you i'm good i think yeah i'm very excited to have you at my house i know i love it i love being at your house yes yes well i guess we should start with some housekeeping Mm -hmm. we've got Mm -hmm. a few little bits to chat to you about if before we really get into some of the book stuff which is exciting first we want to give a big thank you and shout out to charlie and kirsten two of our new witch uh, one witch and one alethiometrist patron i believe yeah thank you thank so you much. so much for being our patrons as we said your patronage thus far people who have been our patrons have helped us to buy some new podcasting equipment which is so exciting we're about to be able to buy another mic and we're so close to our patreon goal of getting 50 patrons which will mean that we can put the time and energy into sorting out a merch store with clothing in it oh yeah oh yeah i've been behind the scenes working on some t-shirt designs which i really hope everybody likes but it'll take a little bit more time and finessing to like get them ready so having a few more people 
being patrons will really help us to like find that time and work out how to make this happen because what we really want to do with the clothing store would be basically I refuse to make any kind of merch unless it's size inclusive exactly and we really want to be able to have like a really wide range of sizes available which means some very careful like decision making on our part based on like where we're going to be able to supply things from and if we get them printed to order etc etc so there's some working out to do but I'm very excited for merch because I want to wear a t-shirt with my own podcast on it same same i'm so excited and some of the designs that rich has done are fucking great Yay. and i'm very excited for people to see them and potentially buy them and wear them uh i believe we're six patrons off of 50 uh Word. so if you've been thinking about becoming a patron maybe it's time to do so to help us get past 50 so we can do some t-shirts and also there's always fun stuff going on on patreon we are going to do this episode and then we've got two more episodes for you which we'll tell you about in a sec but after that we're going to do a little break between this book and the amber spyglass and that means that we've got a bunch of fun stuff to do on patreon so we do like watch alongs we do like behind the scenes videos q a videos for our witches and alethiometrists and basically now we'll have a bit more time because we're not actually doing the episodes for a little bit. Anything else that we can dig up that we think might be interesting, we'll put on there. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited about the Patreon stuff that we're going to be able to do over the break. Whilst I absolutely love doing podcast episodes on the books, having a little break means that we can focus on doing some super fun bonus content, which is also just lovely. <laughs> it's very true. Also, the watch along. We've just finished season one and we'll be starting the season two with our patrons in the discord very soon so if you want to join the discord and the patreon to join us for our watch of season two then join us on there because it's going to be fun it's going to be tragic and horrible because oh we've God. just finished the book and now we're going to watch the, <laughs> the, the series again but it's fine we'll get through it together yes i'm very excited because we've just finished the book getting into the series while this like the book still i say really fresh in my head we're about to discuss the book as a whole and i was panicking this morning so i was like cannot for the life of me remember the first five chapters <laughs> they were so long ago we take so long to do podcast uh, we do i was making my notes and i was like i've literally forgotten every single thing that happens in this book yeah but it's fine we'll 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 dig up some memories i'm sure i, I really hope that at the very least uh very poor is object permanence kind of yeah. uh, a narrative permanence is very lacking in terms <laughs> of remembering what happened in these books and therefore hopefully at least it's slightly amusing that we can't remember what happened in chapter three <laughs> this just might prove that what we've been saying all along that we've got terrible terrible memories people might finally believe us yeah when we talk about something <laughs> that we read two weeks ago the other thing that we wanted to let you know is so i mentioned that we're going to do two more episodes so uh, the next episode, which will be on the 21st of June, will be about the lantern slides for The Subtle Knife. And then the episode after that will be a mailbag episode on the 5th of July, which incidentally, we're on holiday on that day. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be good. We've got loads of emails, but we're always open for more. Uh, so you can email herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts on The Subtle Knife. Northern Lights as well, if you want, because we didn't do a mailbag for that. And just anything else. Yeah, we've fancy. got so much mail to sort through, but it's it's just really exciting. We we know this. We bloody love an email. So. We do. We do. <laughs> and also, we bloody love it when people email us 
with the email title, I know you bloody love an email. <laughs> we <laughs> get a lot of this. so many times. Yeah. yeah it yeah, makes yeah. me so happy. <laughs> I do. Yeah. We get a lot of people just saying hi, which is so lovely and just really nice for people to just be like, I don't really know what to say other than hi and thanks for the podcast. And that we love that. So. Yes. I love it so much. Do you have much, much more to say in this intro? I don't have much to tell you really about my life other than that. I drank loads over the bank holiday weekend. And we're going bowling tonight. We are going bowling. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. They've opened up a bowling alley nearby to where I live. And I'm just, I haven't been bowling since I was like maybe 12, at least when I was a teenager. Like I, I probably won't be able to throw a ball very fast anymore. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> is it about speed or I guess it's about accuracy, isn't it? <laughs> I can't remember the last time I went bowling. I know I've definitely been as an adult because... They're at the O2, they've changed the name of it now, but it used to be Brooklyn Bowl. And it used to like, they used to have bands playing. So I saw Zebrahead there and probably Real Big Fish. Um, and you could bowl whilst watching a band. That's I mean, cool. I didn't I watch the band, but then I also bowled before. <laughs> so it was fun. I'm mind blown by the fact that apparently this one, you don't have to change your shoes. They don't give you shoes. You bowl in your own shoes. I'm so happy about what this. What is this? It must be a COVID <laughs> thing, right? Or is it just like a... Maybe, I don't know. Tell us, people, does your local bowling alley still make you... Well, it might be because it's new. Maybe it's like an outdated thing. What is the point of bowling shoes? I thought it was to, like, keep the lanes nice and stop you, like, uh, scratching them if you have, like, a stone in your shoe and you can't right. wear stilettos, etc., etc. But I don't know. What I do know is that Johnny has already said that if he's bad at bowling, he's going to blame it on the shoes. I mean, well, we can all do that, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I was like, oh, is it so you don't fall on your ass and like slip? But like, there's no grip on the bottom of, of Berlin shoes, really? so it can't be that. If anybody knows, tell us, please. Yeah. Maybe it's just the community spirit of wearing a pair of communal shoes that <laughs> yeah, does God. it for you. <laughs> um... Gross. Hey, Faye. If your demon could still change, what would it be right now? Wow, that was a different way of asking that question. Uh, Okay, I had not prepared for this, but uh, yesterday I was looking out of my bedroom window. There's a lot of wildlife out of my bedroom window. And I saw a little fox having a little snooze in the garden. And at first I thought it was dead because there was flies on it. And I was like, oh God. And then it moved and it was really cute. And it just looked, and because the weather's been nice and it was just chilling in the shade, I'm definitely a shade dweller. And I was like, I wish I was that fox right now. So, and the demon human connection would probably go that far so that my demon could have been that fox in the garden, chilling in the shade while I was inside doing shit. So part of me is outside, part of me is inside. That's my choice this week. I like that. I like that. I am... Gonna go with a bird. I'm gonna go with like a little little budgie because I've been really into like my happy place recently has been watching videos of adorable budgies on TikTok. (laughs) There's one that his because I think a lot of them tend to is it am I thinking budgies? Am I thinking cockatiels? I don't know my birds very well. But there's one particular little cute little bird on tiktok whose like thing that he always goes back to singing is being like bacon 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 sandwich bacon sandwich and i'm like yes yes that works because we've just had a bacon sandwich 
<laughs> on this cute bed says bacon sandwich and it's really really cute i like that i like yeah. that has rich mentioned yet that she's now tiktok famous i got tiktok because i don't know i don't know why i did it it's eaten half my life for one thing but also like i enjoy it i enjoy the little community spaces that exist on tiktok they're very lovely if not a bit sometimes a bit scary but i i got it for work so you can't judge me <laughs> i feel like i just drummed it into your head for so long how much i just kept sending you tiktoks all the time and not to bring, not to say that i am the reason you have tiktok but i feel like that's probably a part of it yeah it's just it is a factor it's a factor and then an artist that i followed already on instagram had posted about how they were really surprised at the reach that they got on tiktok and the amount of community engagement they got and i was like oh that's really interesting and so i got tiktok and somehow tiktok D tiktok found my dice guardians and i've had like one of my videos viewed like a whole bunch of times and i've in the space of two months got more followers on tiktok than i've ever had after having had instagram for like seven or eight years so it's scary and new and i'm learning <laughs> she's a tiktok influencer guys it's me now i love tiktok but i haven't been on it for a long time i'm just sick of getting absolutely read for filth by the algorithm to be honest <laughs> yeah it's a bit scary a podcast that i listened to called reply all was putting out a shout out the other day asking people if their tiktok algorithms had like weirdly specifically identified something about them in their life that they had not told it <laughs> um or like predicted their future or predicted their exact situation and i was thinking yeah that's really interesting because it keeps tiktok keeps trying to do that to me and it keeps trying to do it to you and i want to listen to that episode when it comes out and find out how the tiktok algorithm works because it is known for being weirdly like it just looks you dead in the eyes <laughs> literally yeah it, oh my god it does and it says you depressed anxious gay and i say you know what you're correct you're correct oh my god speaking of gay happy pride oh my god it's pride month <laughs> oh it really is oh Yes, happy Pride. Yes. I'm sad that there won't be any, or I don't think there are any, like, big Pride events this year. So the big London Pride event, I think, has been moved to September. Okay. I think it's either at the end of August or at the beginning of September now, just to avoid all the big COVID regulations, or we're hoping, provided nothing else goes wrong. We walked London Pride once, and we walked in the, what do you call it, the parade? What do you call it? The march. The march. The march. <laughs> yeah, the march. Is that what you call it? It well, because it started as a march, and then I feel like it feels more like a parade now. But like the spirit of it, I feel should always be a march, and there is always very like heavy protest elements to it, as well as all of the celebratory elements. Like, yeah, it depends which prides you go to. I think as to like how political versus how celebratory they are, and there is a space for both i think at most prides which yeah, is nice there is definitely a space for both but i think the thing especially with london pride and i saw it at brighton pride as well it's just all the fucking corporations trying to get on it and that's why i kind of called it a parade because it was like a lot of the stuff that we saw especially at london was just flirts of like corporate big corporations yeah rainbow capitalism yeah <laughs> do not love to see it but what we do love to see is supporting grassroots lgbtq plus charities and all of that good stuff around pride and that is the main thing that i love is people finding out more like growing a community and everybody finding so much more support because whilst we are gay 
all year round, just one month of the year, everybody gets to focus on it a little bit more and perhaps some people that have narrower horizons get to expand their horizons and their understandings and that's lovely. <laughs> Very true. And also I just love the excuse of being like, move, I'm gay and it's pride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get out of my way, I'm gay. Also, it's Pride Month, so you have to be nice to me and respect me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also all the nice things that you said. <laughs> also, can, can you please just be nice to me and respect me all year round? <laughs> that would be good, right? That would be great too. <laughs> <laughs> to everybody out there, happy Pride. And I always feel like I want to do this around Pride Month is just say our podcast is a really open and safe space. So if you are out there and you feel seen by any of the gay shit that we seem to talk about on the podcast but don't feel safe in your own environment, we're always at the end of an email. We love a bloody email. We love a bloody Instagram message. We love creating safe spaces. A hundred percent. Honestly, one of the things I love the most about doing this podcast is just by pure chance that we have and continue to be openly queer on the podcast, the fact that that can help other people is amazing. It's what I felt when I first started listening. And I know you felt the same, Rich, when we first started listening to Buffering it gave me that feeling and the fact that we can give that to somebody else is amazing because we get wonderful emails about, you know, just from all types of queer people. And I'm just like, yes, yes, queers, come on. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Also, I feel like we we both fit into a very specific category of like young book nerds that found, found any of their queerness later in life. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that community where we find it as well. <laughs> If you two are gay for Mrs. Coulter, let us know. <laughs> we'll create we a start solidarity a group. <laughs> if a you two help, help, I've got a crush on a villain that's a really, really horrible person. I feel like I'm going to feel that way about Cruella when that comes out. Is Emma Stone just going to be too hot for me? And am I going to find myself being attracted to somebody that murders puppies? Because I'm not into that. I don't want to be. But Mrs. Coulter's hot, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get past her English accent, Ooh. but we'll see. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I've seen the trailer, so I don't know. From the trailer, I didn't love how how her accent sounded. I'm, I don't think it sounded bad, but it was just a bit too, I don't know what the word is. But yeah, I'm, I'm still probably going to see it, so I'll, we'll report back. Yes. <laughs> oh. Hey, Faye. Hi. This is your second time reading The Subtle Knife. How did you feel about it second time round? I loved it, obviously. It's my favourite book in the series, and it still is. I don't know if that'll change when we get to The Amber Spyglass. I don't think it will, just because like, I did like The Amber Spyglass, but it, it's it's a bit... It's bananas, in it? Just to, to not spoil anything. I think that Northern Lights, although some like traumatic things happen in Northern Lights, I feel like Northern Lights is just a tad on the more whimsical side for me. And I didn't love it as much as like, I feel like The Subtle Knife really gets into the story, really gets into characters. And I, I've, as you all know, I'm very character driven. I just love the emotions and I feel like we got more of that because, and I think because there are more characters to delve into properly, in the subtle knife like northern lights is like here is everyone like here is so many characters you've only got a specific amount of time to get to know like Fardacorum or like mark oster and then you don't see them for the next book whereas like with the subtle knife you're constantly 
with Will and Lyra, constantly with Lee, Mrs. Coulter and the witches. And that's about it, right? It just kind of alternates between a bit of Boreal. And Mary. And Mar- oh my God, Mary. 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 How did I forget about Mary? Wow. Mm-hmm. Revoke my podcast privileges. Introduction of our favourite science mom. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm fired. Just fire me. <laughs> that's God. it. No more podcasts for Faye. But yeah, you spend like specific time with these people not through the lens of Lyra. So I like that a lot more than everything being from Lyra's perspective. Yeah. When I read it the first time, I've said this so many times before, but I read so quickly that like the emotional bits didn't have the same effect that they had on me. Like I was still sad when Lee died, don't get me wrong, but it didn't fucking devastate me like it did this time around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's because you just didn't see it coming. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, what about you? You read, you've read, you read it a million times. Was it any different this time? So there's definitely things that I forgot that happen. For example, so many angels that I kind of, in my head, I was just like, oh, they don't meet angels till the third book. But no, like we physically, Will has a conversation with two right at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. And also Ruta just flies around with some for a bit. And I just kind of completely forgot about that because I've read them so many times now. I always remember how I felt for the very first time reading The Subtle Life and being like, have I picked up the right book? Who's this kid? Why is, why am I reading about a boy now? Where is Lyra? Lyra finished on a cliffhanger. Why aren't I hanging out with her? And then slowly coming to love Will and like that being a whole journey for me. Obviously I no longer have to do that journey in the same way because I know I'm about to see Will again when I pick up the book. And that's a really nice, exciting journey to be like, oh, it's Will. We get to, finally we get to hang out with will again and that's really nice so many things that i've kind of picked up differently on this read through because we're thinking about it so critically um so critically we're so critical (laughs) (laughs) unless it's about asriel we're not that critical um (laughs) yeah i feel like this read through has been really different because i've always just kind of swam through the books quite quickly and taking my time over each chapter means that by the time we get to the end, I've pretty much forgotten about the beginning. <laughs> but also, <laughs> it means that I feel like we've been with Will and Lyra forever now because mm-hmm. we've been doing a chapter every other week or 15 chapters. What's that? 30 weeks? Wow. That's almost a year, right? It's like 50 weeks Fif- of a year. So it's like yeah, two yeah. thirds of a year, three fifths of a year. <laughs> I can't. Maths. <laughs> um, but it feels like so long ago that we started the book. It is such a interesting and strange way to read a book. But also, without sounding too horribly cheesy, I feel like I was meant for this because <laughs> I love reading so much. And there's something really satisfying to me about going through the chapter and making notes on it and being like, this is what I think. And like, these are the things that I'm picking up here. And then talking about that with you. And like, because I feel like, Sometimes you read a book and you're like, oh, I feel like it has undertones of this, or I feel like this could have mean this. And like, but you're just reading on your own and like, you kind of just forget about it. But like, when we're talking about it, we brought up so many things that I didn't know, like I didn't see on my first read through or did and forgot about it. Um, and you can really get into like every, every detail of it. Yeah, definitely. Also, just quite frankly, I haven't read these books through all the way especially considering we started the podcast so it's not like I've done an annual reread since we started doing these books as a podcast so I've only been reading them critically for the last few years essentially and I've also come I feel like I've come of 
quite a long way in terms of how I critically read things and how I critically understand the world in the short time we've been doing the podcast, but also in the few years before that. So reading through the books the first time, as we well know, I was like, Uncle Asriel is so cool. He's an adventure dad. Joppery is so cool. He's a magical adventure dad. All like, oh, Sir Charles Latrium, he's a bad man. And like, just a very like flat opinion yeah. on most of the characters. Like Lyra, she's great. She's scrappy. We love her. Not recognizing how problematic she can be yeah and like just all of these things of like rereading something that you love and read at face value and reading it again and thinking deeper about what that means and how that works and how that relates back to our our world is so um is so different it's been a real journey it's been <laughs> such a journey what has what stood out to you particularly this time <laughs> any particularly horrific tra horrifically traumatic moments i don't know i can't remember any uh i don't i couldn't possibly know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you know what's weird what stood out to me this time is that i genuinely i feel like i don't remember the like linear story of this book if that makes sense i feel like i remember more the feelings of this book if you were to ask me like what is this little knife about a couple of years ago i'd be like oh well like we meet this boy called Will and he meets Lyra from the last book and they find him like they like find a magical knife and then like carry on in this adventure and like fucking Lee Scoresby dies. <laughs> <laughs> and like they find Will's dad and then he's taken away from him at the last minute. And it's like it collapses down to like a very short description. But then like if you were to ask me about it now, I'd be like, well, you see, it's a lot about trauma getting over trauma learning to trust again after having been betrayed learning to trust again and have uh like an emotional connection with somebody after you've experienced a significant amount of grief uh it's about like finding your people and finding your friends it's about and like the amount of different things i would say that this book is about now reading it after having had all these discussions with you is so different to when we started out and i would be like it's about a magic knife <laughs> Mm, and I think that's actually why I like this book better because if you take away the the story, the journey of finding the knife and blah blah blah, there's still there's still substance there. There's still trauma. There's still emotion. There's still new relationships. And I just don't think that Northern Lights has that. Like I'm not shitting on Northern Lights. I think it's a great book, but it's definitely more story driven than The Subtle Knife, which is for me very much driven by emotional connection and things like that which I definitely relate to a lot more I just feel like Northern Lights is just because it's the first section of the adventure Lyra is very naive at mm. the beginning of Northern Lights and then all this stuff happens to her and it's an adventure when it's happening and then in the second book you realize that wasn't just an adventure that was like a significant amount of emotional trauma and then you're seeing somebody that has lived carrying on with their adventure rather than seeing somebody that is a child muddling through the world with like childlike confidence and like the like bolshy Lyra that we've known you get to see what she looks like when she's experienced stuff which is heartbreaking don't make Lyra go through bad things we love her when she's like bolshy and excited about lying to people yeah <laughs> but also it's so much more mature like and I guess that's the point is that we grow with the books like the first book very much captures 
the child that you might have been when you were Lyra's age because it's like oh my god talking animals magical bears um and then the second book is like you probably would be a couple of years older reading that if you were reading them when they came out and you resonating more with Will and more with some of the older characters and so I'm excited about that for the third book <laughs> but yeah it's definitely our characters have been through a lot more and introducing us to Will who like at the start of this book he is he's already been through a lot of stuff Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're meeting Will on the same page as we met Lyra on, where she kind of, all of her adventures were made up and they were in her head and she was excited to do out, go out and do things. Like Will's already seen things and is wary of the world, which is where Lyra has only just got to at the beginning of the second book. Very true. Very true. Did you have a favourite chapter to discuss? I don't know. <laughs> I never know because there's so many different things. Favourite Seraphina chapter? Among the Witches, mm-hmm. where we get to see the witches encountering the spectres for the first time. Favourite Lyra chapter? Uh, probably where she makes an omelette. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see her interacting with Will for the first time, because that's really sweet. Favourite Will chapter? Obviously the horrible chapter where he gets his fingers cut off. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's such a good chapter. Where we actually meet the knife for the first time. Favourite Lee chapter? probably the one before he dies <laughs> <laughs> you know because we get to see so many characters in this book and we're not just spending our whole time with lyra like you said it's harder to choose a fave what's your fave i think although it was very difficult for us to do probably alamo gulch because it was very traumatic but it was the first chapter that we've done that we knew that we needed to plan for and we knew that we needed to take particular care with it because we'd spoken so much about how much we love Lee that we couldn't just not like we it it was never going to be just a normal chapter yeah uh and we like we put off recording it for so fucking long and I put off making my notes for it for so long and it was really difficult but it was so like gratifying when we actually did it and like the feedback we've had on it has been really good it was quite cathartic i think we were a podcast that wrote a song big thanks to johnny again because he did most of it we but we like we brought that into the world and that was really exciting because when we started out this podcast we were like you know what we bloody love we bloody love buffering but we're never going to be able to be the people that write a song at the end of every podcast because that's a their thing and b neither of us do the music thing particularly well but we knew that this moment felt really important and special and so doing a song for it felt really really right definitely yeah we could talk about like the process for that i suppose a little bit because what happened was i message i sent rachel voice note being like we can't just do this episode and not do something like we need to do something and I had the idea of uh, trying to get Lin-Manuel involved again. Yeah. We sent him a very nice email and got the nicest rejection we've ever received yeah. in our entire lives. Yeah. yeah. Where he said, like, I am genuinely just really, really busy, but please don't let this deter you for asking more things in the future. So hopefully we'll find an excuse to get in contact again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we originally wanted to do was to get uh, Lin-Manuel to help us with like a kind of like obituary style thing for Lee or like a eulogy like yeah Yeah. like a eulogy yeah he was 
uh understandably very very busy but um he's got three films three films three (laughs) films so yeah we were like okay so we still definitely want to do something what can we do we thought about writing a poem and then we were like oh why don't we do a song and like ask johnny if it'd help us and then we went to the pub with johnny and and rachel was like let's not ask him until he's had at least three pints (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I was like let's make sure that we're, we're both sat down when we mention it and we can like peer, peer pressure into writing us a song we didn't do it in that way no I think he'd only had half a pint by the time we like lost our cool and asked him <laughs> we didn't do a very good job of planning it but it was really good he was initially like slightly reluctant because the things that we'd written down when we'd had ideas about it were quite frankly very silly yeah 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 and johnny took a lot of the things that we wrote down and the only thing that we were really insistent on was like and he said oh i don't know if i can sing the words balloon dad and keep a straight face and we were like but that's what we call him he's balloon dad he's sky dad we can't lose that and then he came he came back to me one day and was like okay so I've written something and I was like fine I sat on the bed and he played just the the, a little twiddly bit on the guitar and then sung balloon dad and I just cried (laughs) I was like stop how can you sing it so earnestly and so lovely (laughs) I I remember um Rich sent me like Rich and Johnny had worked on it a little bit together and then Rich sent me or Johnny sent me like a voice note of where he'd got to and it had the the like bridge towards the end which is like the bit where like lee dies with where we use like quotes from the book uh and we use the like we're helping lyra and i was like i can't i can't do this i was like i did not sign up for this i wanted it to be like a whimsical nice song about a balloon dad and now i'm like crying yeah in my head i had like when we first started talking i was like oh i could have like a cutesy like country and western theme yeah and just be like rooting and tooting and all this kind of vibes and then johnny just wrote this really beautiful emotional song and we were like okay thank you (laughs) thank you sir i'll go away and cry now yeah yeah and it's such a good song um and like the actual process of writing it like it we wrote it pretty quickly Mm. we we had like a tight turnaround and johnny did so much work on it for us Uh, but it's actually quite fun i enjoy we did like a bunch of zooms where we just sat and like hashed it all out and it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun so yeah potentially future gut-wrenching moments we might manage to get johnny involved <laughs> maybe <laughs> aside from lee what other moments impacted you the most so i feel like perhaps not the moments that impacted me the most but the ones that have stuck with me the most perhaps because they've like changed my opinion would potentially be the chapter with Lee and Joppery where I did a full U-turn on Joppery having been gone into the chapter and made all my notes being like I think he's a bit of a dickhead (laughs) I think he's a bad dad I think he's neglectful all this kind of stuff and then rereading the way in which he's like deadpan telling his story of all of the trauma that he's been through and how hard it was not being able to get back to his wife and his kid etc etc and read it like relaying this information in a really deadpan way and really then suddenly finding myself relating to Joppery in terms of being like yes he's moved through this trauma and this grief and is now able to speak about it in this way that is quite detached because of the way that he's processed it making me do this full u-turn on him as somebody who has moved through grief 
in this way and is recognizable and resonates with me in that way was a really big moment for me because I didn't expect myself to do that U-turn and also I didn't expect myself to necessarily notice that in the way that I did and that also kind of applies to Lyra throughout the books like I might have been like I don't know why she's having this moment I don't know why she's reacted so extremely to this moment but in this particular read through I feel like I was really able to pinpoint what I felt was grief her grief like piggybacking onto her other emotions in these extreme situations in ways that I didn't think I'd have recognized that in the past so they really stood out to me as like important moments I think I yeah I agree I had the Joppery one written down um but I will say that with Lyra I don't think it's it's nowhere near as obvious like I think that like Roger's hardly mentioned I feel like Phil could have done a little bit better with that in terms of writing how she's moving through her grief because obviously we had big discussions around her being quite submissive to Will and it was actually Daphne that like when we spoke to Daphne that made me realize that yeah she is obviously moving through trauma and she's not herself um but I just feel like that could have been highlighted in the book a little bit better maybe we needed a few sentences here and there where it was said that she's not feeling herself or that she's still moving through some stuff and there are little bits in there don't get me wrong it's not it's not that it's not in there at all but I just feel like we needed a bit more yeah I do get that and I think this is the thing perhaps because we're discussing it more we're finding we're finding excuses for the characters as we go along or we're finding more like depth in there than you would get on a casual read through. And that's part of what I love about this podcast. But also, I guess it needs to be said, like, sometimes we shouldn't have to dig that hard to find a human moment within a character. And Phil should just write in, Lyra is really sad because she missed her best friend, Roger, who just died. I'm not, I'm not a novelist. He'd probably write better words than that. But it <laughs> should be pointed out that, you know... <laughs> kind of important absolutely was there anything that i mean this is a hilarious question for us the people that never remember anything was there anything that you misremembered or that you forgot about that surprised you in this read through the angels yeah yeah <laughs> i kind of already said it but just like i forgot how much angeling there was i forgot how much witching there was i forgot how long we spent with the witches before they found myra again like it's not until like halfway through the book that the witches rescue Lyra and Will from that tower. It's more than three quarters of the way through the book. It's like chapter 12, I think. And in my head, the witches have been hanging out with them for ages. They've got their whole separate journey, which I kind of forget about a little bit. What about you? I had 100% blocked out the monkey wanking off the snake. Oh my God. <laughs> Why did you have to bring it up? I'm so sorry. I blocked that out since we last spoke about it. I'm so sorry, but that was so utterly shocking to me like shocking to the point where I had to send Rachel voice note about it because usually we don't talk too much about like the notes that we've made for the chapters because obviously we want it to be authentic for the podcast and not as spoken about it before but I was just like so fucking shocked that I was like (laughs) Rachel why the fuck is there a monkey wanking off a stick I just I I I can't get over it I had yeah I'd kind of forgotten how skeevy that scene was Also, that's the thing that I very significantly misremembered because if anyone felt like telling me that I was wrong in the TV episodes, in my head, I had completely melded that scene with Mrs. Coulter into thinking that she set a spectre on Boreal and his demon. 
and not that she'd set the spectre on a witch. I'd forgotten about the witch completely from that scene, I think. And I could only remember Boreal. And so I was really surprised in the TV show when she poisoned him when actually that's exactly what happens. <laughs> Thank you, Brain, for misremembering these things. <laughs> I also thought that we spent much more time with Lee before he died. Sadly not. Sadly not. <laughs> nope. This is just another podcast episode about Lee, isn't it? <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I think, again, it might be because of how spaced out we've read it it feels like perhaps we've not spent that much time with some of the characters when actually not that long ago we were recording a podcast episode about a whole chapter that we got to spend with them which we never got to do in the first book yeah that's Lee true. was such a peripheral character in the first book just showing up with a balloon and flying them around basically being lyra's sky taxi <laughs> and then now it's like the second book and he gets like three whole chapters four whole chapters dedicated to his journey or I guess it's like three and a half because he features in Among the Witches, but he's not one of the main focuses. But And that's really great. Like, I'm glad we got to have that time. <laughs> oh, God. Same. Same. I just want more. I just want more. Yeah. Is there anything for you that, like, stood out from this read-through compared to the TV series when we watched it that, like, you, like I was saying, like, I misremembered? <laughs> well, just in terms of the, like, TV adaptation of this book there's so much to cram in to the tv show so much happens in this book and i think that they did a really good job i think probably i liked this season better than their northern lights adaptation i really enjoyed that they took more risks and they added their additional scenes with like fucking lee and coulter amazing coulter and mary coulter and mary so good why do i keep forgetting about mary honestly same i'm talking about my favorite chapters and like oh which is my favorite chapter with so-and-so completely forgetting about like my favorite character mary malone i i don't know what that is i I don't know what that is we'll have to talk we'll we'll talk about her after this 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 question yes um i was sad that we missed out on like more of the epicness around like lee's last moments so all the like shamany stuff that we that just wasn't in the show like the birds and the specter and but also, like, I also understand how difficult that would have been to do. Um, and I loved that we got, like, a glance of Yorick and that they brought Azrael into it. And I feel that, like, Daphne and Amir really did a good job of being Lyra and Will this season. And yet, obviously, we stand Simone as Mary. Like, there wasn't, because I barely remembered the book anyway, apart from the main points, there wasn't anything that... I was like surprised to see apart from the bits that weren't in the book. So like I was like surprised about Lee and Coulter, but in terms of like me just not remembering anything, there wasn't anything that I was like, Oh, like that's not in the book. or like, that's different than what it is in the book because every week when we do the TV show episodes, I'd be like, Rich, does it happen like that in the book? And you'd be like, I forgot as well. And I'd be like, cool. <laughs> I don't know. I've read them so many times that it's all melded with my memories. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think they did a very good job of the like thread of the story and then just like adding around it. And also it definitely benefited from having more uh, women in the writer's room this time around. Like you could really, really see that. Um, so yeah. What about you? What did you think? Kind of the same, really. Like I felt... Like they did a really good job of cramming everything in and then the stuff that they either weren't able to get in because of the lost episode or that they had to like shoehorn in around other stuff because of the lost episode really, really worked. And it was very convenient for them that the lost episode happened to be a bunch of 
as, as real stuff that we don't get in the books anyway it was actually quite refreshing to spend so long without seeing Asriel. <laughs> Absolutely. As much as we love James McAvoy. We do. So, okay, let's talk about Mary. I haven't made any notes about Mary. This is really bad, isn't it? I wonder if it's because we don't get to spend a terrific amount of time with her in the last couple of chapters. Like, what's the last chapter we spend with her? It's screen language, right? So it's like four, three chapters off the end of the book. Yeah, she, yeah. And we get to spend the whole chapter with her, which is great. But I also think it's because... I know that I'm going to be obsessed with Mary in the next book and I won't say anything more than that. Well, that's that's the thing. That's what I kind of wanted to just like vaguely skirt around is the fact I don't want to obviously no spoilers, but uh, The Amber Spyglass is a significant book for Mary. And I think that because we know that when you meet her in the soul knife, you're kind of like, who the hell is this person? Like, she's great. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad she's here. Yeah. But for the people that have read it, there's more to come. So maybe that's why she's. And she's like, so finishing much... the book where Lyra finished the last book, where Lyra yeah. finished Northern Lights, she's just stepped through into a new world. And that's all we know. And that's such an exciting place to be. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much happening, especially like in those last couple of chapters of The Subtle Knife to Will, to Lyra to lee that it's like okay mary's gone through to this other world i'm guessing we'll see what she does in the amber spyglass but for everyone else it's like whoa like lyra's been kidnapped will's found his dad who's immediately just been murdered lee's dead you're just like ah, there's so much shit happening mary despite being alone in a new world she is probably in the most stable position of any of the characters at the end of this book absolutely <laughs> yeah but i also feel like i also didn't make any notes on Coulter which is, I mean, unheard of for me. Yeah. But I just, I think my only note I put in our little shared document was Mrs. Coulter, hot but evil, which is... Still true. Yeah, still true. I feel like... One book later, still true. I feel like she stepped up, she steps up her game in terms of her, like, evilness in this book. And obviously what she was doing at Bolvango was, like, so, so horrendous. But I think because we get to see some, like, one-on-one horrendousness, so, like, her torturing and then torturing the witch and then killing the witch and then poisoning Boreal, it's, like, one-on-one violence. Yeah. Um, Especially at the beginning where she's, like, breaking fingers and legs and shit. Jesus Christ. I love it. Yeah. But also getting to see her character development in terms of her, like, going from being working within the institution of the magisterium to be like trying to get as powerful as she can and doing these horrible things to children or being in charge of these horrible things being done to children in order to be leader of an organization to going out on her own in a new world taking control of a bunch of mystical spectral creatures and murdering one of her magisterium allies and like it feels like Coulter at the end of this book is like going rogue from like the really straight-laced magisterium Coulter that we saw in the first book that's and true. that's really interesting to like see that kind of progression and also the whole um when she finds out that Lyra's Eve and the way that resonates with her I feel like is a really important thing for her character but again that's quite skimmed over in the books mm-hmm. and I suspect we'll who knows we'll see more we'll, we may not we I don't know because we don't actually spend that much time with her in the subtle knife but she does so much but because we spend so little time with her like you said it is skirted over also 
We don't know that Boreal's dead. That is true. His snake did not disappear did not. in the book as it did in the TV series. Yes. I mean, he's definitely poisoned. He is poisoned. Well, still alive, as we'll have to Potentially. see. Yeah, potential. <laughs> Probably got spected. If she left him there on his own, he will have got spected. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, interesting book for Mrs. Coulter. It was kind of like, we haven't got much time to delve into the character of Mrs. Coulter, but we will just get her to do all this in bananas shit to people and just be incredibly evil and just really casually amassing an army in the background oh yeah because she's got all of these fighters with her these like demonless fighters and control of the specters and they're set up in some kind of camp right when the witch finds them and she's just gone and done all that since we last saw her when she was at boreal's house or at latrum's house in oxford and yeah. she seems to just do this stuff where she goes away into the background and then comes back more powerful and more scary than before. It's a little bit like Azrael. Yeah. Because he's been in the background, like, you know, making his own army and his own massive fortress. and Full of man witches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we haven't seen him at all in this, in this book. Yeah. Um, apart from Ruta just... Fawning over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... But yeah, interesting. I think I feel like we're forgetting the fact that we've met so many new characters this book. And the fact that Will is a new character. I don't know whether we should get into potentially having a little chat about how we feel about Will as a new joint protagonist of the book, really. Because he's essentially come along and been like, Philip's just been like, yeah, sure, we'll have two protagonists now. <laughs> he's not a sub he's not a like side character like Lee Scoresby or Serafina, he is as protagonisty as Lyra is, despite the fact that he's got heart like one book less than her in the trilogy. <laughs> yeah. No, I love Will. Uh as soon as I first read The Subtle Knife, I loved him a lot. I always used to say that, oh I like him better than Lyra. I think that's quite reductive. I don't really think that's how I think, but I think I related to him a lot. Um and like Jane Tranter said, like just his story and like what he went through and what he's still going through with his family and how he's still a good kid at heart and I honestly think that he's such an intriguing and complicated character one of the most complicated characters I've, I've ever read I think I think it's really interesting and kind of refreshing in a way although I don't want to condone it to like have this kind child who's been through so much but then has these violent tendencies and like the witches are scared of him like it's so you you wouldn't really get that about any other child protagonist like you might get it about a child antagonist but never about the protagonist and I just think that that is it must have been very difficult to write that and also keep in mind that he is a good character um and just the fact that he's been through so much like every time he just talks about his mum it makes me want to cry yeah it's it is really interesting because i feel like this is the book in which potentially so many of the characters get so, so much more than one note because it could be really easy to just write a character like will and be like yes he's just very kind he's very kind and he's very loyal and very brave and it's like cool kind loyal brave they're quite like standard hero traits aren't they and like one of the lovely things about lyra and her heroic traits are that 
she is kind-ish. She is fiercely loyal to some people. She is brave, but she's also, her main quality is that she's just really good at lying, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I love. And it's, for Will, it's kind of that same thing of like, he could be just one note, but he's not. He's got this temper. He's got this anger inside him. He's got so many other qualities running through that could could have just been really easy to just not bother writing and still have him be like a, ooh, a hero. Yeah. It's nice to give him more than those notes. And same with Lee Scoresby. He went from being just a cool, badass fighter in a balloon to like, dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's, um, it was very clever of Phil to like introduce a new main character for his other main character to interact with. Um, and to have that main character to instill growth in the other character as well. And to be like us. To be like yeah. his readers in this world is that real, like you were saying, one of the main moments that stand, stood out to you when you were first reading the books that we picked out when we first got to it. I think it might even have been the very first or second chapter where Lyra recognises almost immediately that Will does have a demon and his demon is inside him. Yeah. And that moment you're like, and that's Phil giving every single person that's reading this book a big hug and telling them that they do have a demon. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. Yes, thanks. I love that. Thank you, I Phil. love that we've just expanded and we've come out into our Oxford or Will's Oxford and found people that look like us and been able to like find our own demons through that. I just think it's really pretty. I love 100%. it. 100%. <laughs> I also really enjoy when we're in Will's world and like they see like a Burger King or like he goes to a Burger King and they go to the cinema and stuff because that just yes. makes me laugh because <laughs> it's just like I'm reading this like fantastical book and now here i am near a burger king do you know what I mean? it's so funny i love that bringing in like a little moment of like mundanity <laughs> absolutely um shall we break up these questions a little bit and I'll, I'll tell you some of my facts that i learned yes yes faye has an amazing big old encyclopedia of his dark materials that she's brought with her and it has sticky notes in it, it and does. i have not read this book so i'm excited to find out some facts it does. So it is, we used it for the Northern Lights wrap up as well. It was bought for me by our friend Zach and it is the definitive guide to Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials by Laurie Frost. Oh, it's got a little quote from Phil in the inside cover. It says, I know I've returned to it frequently and I know I'll continue to do so. So Phil uses it. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, handy, right? He's probably got his own notes, but way handy to have an index. Absolutely. <laughs> so I went through like half of it because it's a very big book. And I made some, like, I put some stickies on some certain bits. So let's see what I put stickies on. It's, I, I did this yesterday. I've completely forgot. Is it like potluck? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. So these are in my book. Um, and I had a little bit of a read through of them. In the 10th anniversary edition of The Soul Knife, there are like notes and stuff from Joffrey in the back. So in Northern Lights, I think it was, I think it was all like the Bolvanger papers. And in the back of it's like, he, I'll show you, Rich, but he, he's drawn a little picture of Cyan Katol. I'll show you. Yeah. It's really cute. Yeah. There's uh, my bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in the, so it says, a somewhat different perspective on Lord Asriel is offered uh, in John Parry's notes in the, in, in the appendix to the 10th anniversary of the Soul Knife. In their brief acquaintance, uh, Joppery learned that Asriel had a daughter of whom he was very proud. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Asriel carries a picture of Lyra with him on his travels, which he showed to Joffrey. So 
when we were reading the chapters where Lee was talking to Joffrey about Lyra and Joffrey called her Lyra Blackwear, he just knew who she was because Asriel had showed him to her. I thought it was like his shame and stuff, but like he just knew who she was. Yeah. Because he'd met Asriel. He knows who she is and knows that, like, and is such an Asriel stan, which he is. He's bloody obsessed with Asriel. Why is he not in any way keen to protect Asriel's daughter, who he cares about? I guess because he doesn't care about Asriel himself, but more about the cause. But, ugh, sure. Um, you, you carry around a picture of your daughter, but you're quite happy to gaslight her into thinking you're her uncle for 12 years. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> nothing at this point is going to redeem Asriel. No. So. <laughs> it's all handwritten. It's very difficult to read. I first encountered him at the mouth of the Lena. Is that a river? I don't know. I was already a shaman, but I was completing some solar observations sorry if i'm reading this really slowly that it's handwritten so it's hard to read uh slowly uh, solar observations for my berlin thesis i told him of the alaska window through which i came through into this world he was aware of this thesis but he had never seen one himself a remarkable man both proud and generous (laughs) you don't often see those qualities together don't you fucking (laughs) hell for a time he was the lover of uh okay for the time, for uh, for a time, he was the lover of Tan Tanja Letana. It sounds like a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, not Ruta. Yeah, Ruta's gonna be jealous. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, he had a daughter of whom he was very proud. He showed me a picture. Her mother was not a witch. If anyone could lead a rebellion against the church in this world, or even further, it would be Azriel. Fucking hell! Calm down, Jopper. Interesting. Asriel seems to have a thing for witches, apparently, if he's if it was a notable fact that Lyra's mother was not a witch. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. So my, my next fact for you is about uh, Creepy Charles. It's not, uh, it, it was just that um, Boreas is a Greek god of the North Wind. Huh. I thought Boreal was in some way related or like a name chosen because it sounds like or is in some way derived from aurora borealis that was the next bit it was like oh it's oh yeah but i didn't read that one out because i thought it was i thought it was obvious all right (laughs) i just your fact threw me off i was like is my fact not right is it not because of aurora borealis but also cool uh what's my next one it's fun because i forgot um okay so in the set in the appendix again uh in his notes, contained in the appendix, blah, 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 uh, Joppery charts his progress from the Alaska window through Siberia to England and finding it harder to adapt to a different world's Europe than to live in its remotest regions, he goes back to Siberia. So he says, I went, I think I read them, he was like, oh, I went to London, like, mm. in this new world, and it was so different to my London that I found it easier to go and live in, like, the wilderness in Siberia. I guess that makes sense, right? It's better, like Lyra mentions the eeriness of being in Will's Oxford and seeing things that are familiar but not familiar. Yeah. And that that was really like uncanny and unsettling. And so I can see why you might be like, I'd rather go somewhere that's completely foreign to me and even in my own world would be foreign to me rather than something that's uncanny. Exactly. Um, the appendix also reveals that Joppery had extensive knowledge of the witch clans because he's got like a little map that's got all the witch clans marked on it and where mm. they are and what they're called. Wow. Um, when Joppery met uh, Giacomo Paradisi, uh, he saw what the knife could do. He knew that the knife was a tool that Azriel needed the most. Ooh. It says here, Azriel's first impression of Grumman apparently was that the stranger was nothing special. 
but he soon learned Grumman was no fool. I don't know where that's from, because it's not from there. I don't know if it's from the Amber Spyglass, so I might have to cut it out. It could also be from the Lantern Slides. Oh yeah, okay, so I mentioned that map of the witches it, that Joffrey had. It reveals that uh, to Kaminen uh, is the clan queen for the Lake Visha witches. It's a queen. Can't, can't reject a queen. Can't scorn a queen. Interesting. Hmm. This is interesting because this isn't in my version of those notes, but it says it in here. So I'd be interested to see if anybody has this one. Um, but it says here, all of uh, John Parry's handwritten notes in the appendix to the 10th anniversary edition of The Subtle Knife are straightforward and informative, which they are, until he tries to record his feelings about never seeing his wife and son again. Multiple false starts follow the introductory phrase, as for Elaine, until they are abandoned with the simple confes- uh, confession, I cannot speak. Is that not in yours? It's not in mine. Ooh, interesting. It's not in mine. Does it make you feel a bit better about him never mentioning his fucking son? Well, I suppose he's still not mentioning his son. He's just, he's just yeah, mentioning Yeah, maybe Elaine. he just couldn't write the words and will. Um, it does a little bit because it makes a little bit more sense of why his mail paper letters are very straight to the point. If he's somebody that struggles to talk about his feelings. Sure, maybe. <laughs> I don't love it. It's a weird choice for Phil to make, which makes the character come off as cold if you don't read too hard into it. You have to do a lot of jiggery-pokery to get your head around why he might not be good at talking about his emotions when you could just give him emotions. (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) Also, the book gets really sassy here, which I enjoy. So it basically lists like every single character in every single book. And it'll say, like, Roger Parsler... He's a human. What's his demon? What world is he from? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. So for Oliver Payne, it says, uh, human, what world is he from? Wills. Alliances. Whoever is paying his salary. Oh. Fucking roasted. <laughs> Oliver Payne, you fucking pain. Yeah, Oliver Payne didn't get the memo he was in a fantasy novel. <laughs> he truly did not. <laughs> Too busy thinking about what his annual salary is going to be. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, apparently, Ruta Scardi, so... Skadi is the Norse goddess of winter. Scandinavia is named for her, apparently. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, Ruta. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, this one is about Chittagatse. So Dubrovnik, Croatia, uh, is the model for the setting of Brian Aldous's The Malaysia Tapestry, a novel Pullman uh, cites has influence in his de- description of Chittagatse. Mm. So we can say... It's loosely based on Dubrovnik. That's cool. We can put that on our list of places to visit and pretend like it's relevant to yes. to the books and the podcast. Absolutely. Yep, yep, <laughs> It's a yep. really great excuse to go on holiday. Oh, yeah. About the Belvedere. So the, the actual drawing that's in the book, you know, the chapter little thumbnail thing. Apparently, Philip Pullman said, this building was actually designed by Andrea Palladia in the 16th century, but I don't know if it was ever built. I copied it from his design. Oh, fun. There you go. That's all I got for you. Nice. Fact corner. Fact corner. I appreciated that. Those some good facts, Faye. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Or do you want to do some listener questions? Because like we spoke about, we've spoken about Will, spoken about Lyra and Will a little bit. 
I guess we touched on quite a lot of witch stuff in that little set of facts, so we could mention Ruta. Yeah. My opinions on her have definitely fluctuated. Yeah. So with the witches, I think it's good that we met so many more witches. Absolutely. Yeah. I really liked those journeys. Uh, I really feel for Lena, poor Lena, or Lena, however yeah. you want to pronounce it. She was just being curious. I would have done the same. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot, there's a lot of witches dying. <laughs> Yeah. basically in this book we lose a lot of witches in that very last chapter we do that sadly do not get named but the one that does get named is our um Chekhov's witch <laughs> uh due to Kaminen yeah who yeah, yeah. yeah kills Joppery and I guess from those notes we know that Joppery knew a lot about the witches perhaps spent a lot of time with them which would make sense as to how he would have come across a witch and become um the object of her affections shall we say um in that way interesting i i really want to know what he did that deserved getting an arrow through the heart because i feel like just saying no is not enough to get you shot i wonder if his extensive knowledge of the witches is due to like i don't know getting himself nice and cozy and befriending a lot of witches and leading people on in some way not that that deserves you an arrow through the heart I don't know (laughs) yeah maybe but like I just thought that he just said no and that was kind of the point she was just like how dare he reject me which I feel that vibe sometimes you know what I mean like um I guess it is said earlier in the books like you cannot reject a witch (laughs) exactly because we had the whole conversation around consent and stuff didn't we with the witches so yeah I think that Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but like, I just felt the vibe was that she just took that rejection to the absolute extreme. Um, Because how dare you reject a witch, as they have said before. Yeah, it just, it just felt like so extreme. I I would like to, I want to know the story. I want to know what went down there. Because it seems so extreme for just a simple, your heart lets bang. No. (laughs) you know yeah 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 um yeah speaking of witches we met queen of the riches ruta scardi we did and were initially obsessed with her Mm -hmm. and then realized something i never clocked in previous read-throughs how off her obsession with asriel struck us as especially because in previous read-throughs i was still on adventure uncle mode i hadn't realized how bad he was (laughs) I was just really gunning for Ruta and Serafina. That, like, when Ruta started bringing Asriel into it, I was like, why have we always got, why does Asriel, why has he always got to be brought into it? I feel like you could do some kind of variation on the Bechdel test on this book, except for it's not any time two women are talking about something that isn't a man. It's any time any chapter happens where somebody doesn't just talk about Asriel the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a chapter in this book where Asriel is not mentioned? Ooh, I bet he's not mentioned in screen language. True. But I I bet there's not many. Yeah, Ruta, like, she's so great, but I spe- there was whole, that whole bit around where, like, she just appeared in his, like, bedroom as well, remember? And, yeah. like, that was a bit, like, ooh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't do that, Ruta. That is not okay. Yeah, so I I'm excited to go into the amber spyglass and see how i feel about her there um because i'm definitely like split down the middle as to what i think yeah 
His face just watching me squirm around on the sofa trying to get comfy. I'm doing a rearrange. Do you want to answer some questions from some listeners? I would love that. Cool. Okay, so David on Twitter said, There's a bloody email in gestation, but in summary, why does Joffrey get such an easy ride when he's just as much of a self-serving toxic ass and awful father as Asriel? I've been thinking about this. <laughs> Thanks for reading us and calling us out, David. We appreciate it. No, truly. It's a good question. I really appreciate this question because I have been s- not struggling with it, but have thought about it a fair amount too, because quite a lot of my initial notes on Joffrey were quite harsh and were yeah, quite like, so. yeah, he's a bit of a dick like Asriel, isn't he? And for me, I feel like the thing that has given Joffrey, he doesn't get a free pass by any means he's still a bit of a dick um and this is the thing he's a bit of a dick i feel like joffrey is like 60 percent, whereas asriel's like a solid like 90 percent. and the 20 percent that joffrey has over asriel for me on the like dickhead scale is that he may have left his wife and his child but he did try to return to them he didn't leave by choice based on, well, he did leave by choice based on ambition, but his time scale was very different and he didn't gaslight his child into thinking that he was their uncle, which is one of my main things that I'm like, that's messed up. Um, he also seems to have like a slightly more level-headed view of the world in terms of, I don't feel that there's too much vindictiveness to his goals as I genuinely feel like Asriel is but hurt by the system and that's why he's attacking the system <laughs> as i feel like joffrey seems to have done a lot more like traveling and learning and he's a displaced person and ha- that has tried to return to home and then grieved for his inability to return home and had to come to terms with that and is jaded for some very different re- reasons to how i feel as real as jaded because he feels but hurt that the system took away his privilege because he murdered somebody as far as I know, John Parry didn't murder anybody and then get his privilege taken away. And that's why he's trying to break the system. He got trapped in it. He was like a adventure scientist that got trapped in another world that may have been neglectful of his family, but didn't seem to be too much of a dickhead. <laughs> I don't know. Like they seem like different levels or different, different flavors of being a bad person to me. <laughs> I feel like for me, it's all about the choice right so asriel chose to be a dick to lyra he chose to gaslight lyra he chose to murder roger murder roger he chose to barely see lyra and be like a dick to her every time he saw her the fact that oh he was proud of her and he showed joppery a picture of her and all that shit that does not redeem him for me because he made the choice to still act like an asshole when he saw her and with Joppery, I feel like there's he definitely has I agree with you, he definitely has some asshole tendencies. But he had a child, had a wife, he went away to work or to explore, which a lot of people do mm-hmm. because money is needed. I don't know if he did it for monetary purposes, but people have got to do what they gotta do. He never planned to not ever come back. It, as far as I'm aware, it was his plan to come back and to raise his son and to be with his wife. And we've seen him, although we wanted him to mention Will more in his letters and things like that, we've seen him 
or we felt him grieve for what he's lost. And we had that big conversation about him and grief. I just feel like there are a lot of comparisons to be drawn between Joppery and Asriel, but he is a man that is devastated at the loss of his wife and child. And Asriel will never be that man. Like Asriel's out for himself and Joppery does have selfish tendencies, but if he could, he would go back to his wife and child. Yeah, I think that's the thing is Asriel could have at any point, as far as we know, at a point at which he'd amassed enough power to do what he was doing, he could have found a way of getting Lyra back in his life to be her dad if he wanted to. Because if you've got enough power to get some bears to build you a secret facility in Svalbard to work at, you can probably sort out smuggling a child into that relative level of safety or whatever. Like, I feel like he had way more opportunity and access and means in order to work out how to be a good dad Mm. that Joffrey had all of those taken away from him by being literally separated into a separate world that he could not get back to his own world from this i don't know if i've made this comparison before but the way that i feel about asriel is similar to the way that i feel about snape drink in the fact (laughs) that snape was spoilers for harry potter sauce uh, snape was hideously horrendous to like harry the whole time and then by the end of the seventh book, Harry was supposed to have forgiven him because he was protecting him. And it's like, he was still an absolute dick. I don't know Snape had his reasons for being a dick, but it was not the child's fault that... It's still a grown-ass adult yeah. choosing to be yeah. mean to a child, which yeah. is so petty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel the same way about Asriel in the sense that like, oh, like, are we supposed to think that he's a good dad just because he told someone once that he was proud of his daughter and he asks for a picture of her every year, but then when he sees her, he nearly fucking breaks her arm and lies about being a fucking uncle? No. Hello, that screams of, like, um, absent fathers that show people pictures of their kids that they're so proud of, and yet they've never paid a single, like, child support check in their life. Like, you can be proud of your kids and show off photos of them while still being an awful parent thank you very much (laughs) you can also be an absent parent that is or like a separate separated parent that is a very good parent you just it's there's such a line you know (laughs) truly and yeah the Joppery and Asriel thing there's definitely a lot they're very similar in a lot of ways but I think that how they feel about their wife and children or obviously not wife with, with Asriel and Coulter but that kind of underpins it for me it's like well no they're actually quite different in that sense I think a lot of it is also the way they treat the people they encounter so we had a really great question from Low, which in some ways relates to this yes yes especially in terms of how we feel about Joppery and some of the mis not misgivings like some of the apprehensive feelings we have about latching onto him as a great guy yeah um because we know he's not uh, so Low emailed in. Low, thank you, Low. They tweeted us being like, oh my God, I need time to think about this. When's the deadline? When's the deadline? And then they snuck in right before. <laughs> yes, amazing. Thank you, Low. Um, Low's question is about Joppery and how he is presented, especially in relation to his shamanism. Low says, personally, I feel like he sort of falls into the trope of white explorer dude discovering cool ancient knowledge from non-western cultures and that makes me a bit uncomfortable is he really that much better than the knife bearers of chittagatsi then just stealing knowledge from other worlds i mean i guess he 
is because he's using the knowledge to save the world, but not just to benefit and and not just to benefit himself. But I still feel a bit uncomfortable about how he's betrayed. What do you think? Lo, we have feelings. <laughs> we do. I 100% completely agree. And I feel like I've always had, again, like you were just saying, like I've always had like a bit of an icky feeling about Joppery and just around the whole point of him going into different cultures and like stealing things from that cultures. And then to your point earlier, before we started recording, then saying that there's like, oh, there's folly everywhere. I think we had a really great chat about this in the Discord with some of our patrons about the statement. I've spent a lot of time in many different cultures across the world and found folly everywhere and also found grains of truth. And there's such an interesting debate to be had there to do with this whole idea. So has Joppery taken advantage of a bunch of cultures by strolling through them, disrespecting them by calling a bunch of their practices folly and treating it like a global pick and mix, choosing the good stuff for himself to build his power? Or has he respectfully spent time with a bunch of different cultures, learned their practices and had a very open mind and pulled the bits of knowledge that resonated with him and, and fit together for him into his being and become a very well-rounded person with lots of different vantage points because yes the world is an infinitely better place when we can learn from like so many different cultures and every single culture has like amazing wisdom but and he's not wrong also every culture has super weird little follies that they that they believe in or that they have or that just feel wrong on so many levels but where does Joppery sit as a a person who is a white man of privilege despite being a stranger in a foreign world where does he sit when it comes to going around and cherry picking information from cultures yeah it's really hard to work out like it's a great trait to be open-minded to the beliefs and practices of different cultures but it's also not his place to be cherry picking what he wants and calling the rest folly i feel yeah and i also think the way that it's written when he is in um uh, the the village and all the people there are like kind of worship it worshiping him in a way and it's that made me feel a bit uncomfortable and i think le tweeted us about that after we'd done that chapter and i was like i did definitely feel icky about that but i couldn't articulate it at the time but yeah, the fact that like this white, this privileged white man has come into this village uh, with these people, and then now they're worshiping him as if he's some kind of like god. That's very or no thank him you. The reverence of one of their elders or yes. a shaman, yeah, is such a difficult thing to pass because you know that he's not from that culture. He's not spent much time in like, well, we don't know how much time he's spent there. At- a minimum of 10 years I guess <laughs> but it's really hard to work out how that sits yeah and I know that like it's it's interesting to talk about that because I know that every single thing we're talking about is a choice by Phil that particular choice by Phil just seemed a bit ugh, it seemed like a bit of a mistake to me like in the sense of like it it just I just feel like he shouldn't have been put on the pedestal that he was put on within that particular culture because it just felt very um i'm not saying that he shouldn't have like lived with them and like all that kind of stuff but to have him like separate from them in his like 
put all the way down the fucking lane or whatever it was when Lee had to go and find him. It just feels a bit, why is he so special? It's really, because, in- yeah, it's really interesting to get into it because it is a trope that exists. It is, um, and it exists in some ways for a reason because yes, he could be, he is a, a stranger from a foreign land that has knowledge that is very different to theirs, that has made this particularly powerful ointment for healing injuries. He has a lot of knowledge that he's bringing to the table that would make him respectable or a figure of awe in some way, potentially. But equally, he, there's on top of that, what is making him potentially treated in this way is that he has this lovely veneer of cishet white guy that makes him so much more acceptable as this character because you take an elder from another culture that is like wise and has so much knowledge and depth of experience and put them in a room full of white people and you probably would not see them venerated to the same level in fact you'd probably see them being dismissed yeah exactly a lot of Western culture is so dismissive of other cultures. And it's so, it's, so it's really hard to pass that because a big factor in that, maybe I'm I don't know if I'm saying all of my words right, but a big factor in that level of like how he got venerated to this status within that village potentially is he's, he's sitting on top of a comfy little privilege pillow to start with. Yeah. And then he's cherry picked all the knowledge from all these cultures that have made him extra wise. Yeah. And like this is to go back to David's question. These are the reasons why I have like a a dislike for Jopery rather than his like dadness. Not that David specifically differentiated between the two in his question, but I think if I was to the the bits that make me feel icky about Jopery are definitely these bits in in him like what we've just talked about going to different cultures, picking up what he can, and like Lur said, being that typical like white explorer dude. Um, it's so interesting because also you can play Joffrey's character one of two ways as well because if you gave him a bit of that Asriel swagger who he gets imprisoned by the bears and then suddenly they've built him a lab Asriel swaggers into that village and ends up probably in a very similar level but by demanding it yeah and it's whether we think that Joffrey's swaggered into the village and demanded it or humbly approached people and proved his worth within the community We don't know how he got to that place and we can only take indications from his character to work out and the way that he acts around other people to work out how he got there. And if we go by the way he acts with Lee sometimes, because he is quite aloof, he could have Azrealed his way to the top or he could have worked his way to the top. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Such a a good question. Such interesting discussions. Um, Would you like another question? Yes. From David again, which is a good another one. Also, does Mrs. Coulter not speak to the monkey prick because she's in fundamental conflict with her nature due to being bound by the church's doctrines? Yes, I think. Yes. <laughs> one of the reasons. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's a really great way of portraying an internal conflict and a level of like self, self-flagellation. Is that the way of saying it? I feel like it's a way of like isolating and punishing herself. Yeah, because yeah, we spoke time. we spoke a lot in the TV show episodes, didn't we, about how... And we spoke to Russell about it, about how her the monkey really represents her self-hatred. And I think that a lot of that does come from the church. 
and how she's grown up in that environment and then tried to get power from that environment and found it very difficult, et cetera, et cetera. And also being disgraced, and I'm doing air quotes, by the way. Um, it's all within the church, right? Like, it, none of that would have happened if it, if it wasn't for the magisterium and all that kind of shit. Um, so yeah, I do definitely think that's a massive part of it. It's really interesting how much and how little we see of that relationship between Coulter and the monkey in the books because it's just kind of an unspoken thing that they don't speak and you don't often get to see a lot of other people talking to their demons or not talking to their demons in the books so it's quite hard to like I feel like the tv show really really brought that out for me and really they obviously played way harder on that relationship because they also have her being physically violent towards the monkey in the tv series which they don't we don't see that in the book and the way that they've like teased that out is really interesting. But Mrs. Coulter is a product of her environment <laughs> and her environment is deeply misogynistic. So, and very repressed. So, uh, Hattie on Instagram said, what characters from the first book have you missed seeing in the second? Bardicora. Boat Dad. <laughs> Yorick. Yorick, yeah. Uh, Boat just... Dad, Bear Dad. Yeah. Uh, any other dads? <laughs> Mark Oster. Yeah. Boat mum. Not as real though. That's real. We did not miss as real. Um, he was because he, despite not being there, he got so much airtime. Everyone's fucking talking yeah, about it. That's all the true, time. actually. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, people should really talk about Fodacorum and Mark Oster more and Yorick. Yorick yeah. had a fair bit of time because Lee mentioned him and Lyra mentioned him. Anytime she mentioned someone being brave, she's like, as brave as Yorick, as good yeah. at fighting as Yorick. <laughs> that's true. She really holds a candle for Yorick. She and does. We love it. She does. But Mark Oster didn't even, did she get one mention? Maybe a couple of mentions? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah, definitely like a whole bunch of characters that aren't in the second book that are in the first book, which is... Library dad. College dad. Oh, the master. <laughs> the master and the librarian. librarian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Roger. R.I.P. R.I.P. Pouring out for Roger. Justice for Roger. Yeah, interesting choice to have the second book not contain some of the main characters. Mm. Um, but I definitely missed Yorick a lot. I think the most out of everyone, Yorick. I really missed him. I feel like... Hester picked up and ran with the sass that we lost from Yorick, yeah, potentially. And like Pan did maybe a little bit of sassing, but there was a lot of like dead Pan bear logic that I feel we needed that we missed yeah. out on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last question from Instagram, which is from Uxa. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, how do you feel? I feel sad, <laughs> but also a little bit relieved. <laughs> we finished the second book and. I, I'm really proud of us mm. <laughs> that we got this far and that I feel like we've, I really hope we've done a good job of it. But I'm quite sad that it's over. Like it's a really big moment finishing the books. It's a really big book and it deals with some really serious stuff. And we lost a lot of people along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always thought about how it would go in the sense that like Northern Lights in terms of the podcast, Northern Lights would be us getting to grips with what we wanted the podcast to be. Subtle Knife would be we've got into the groove. Amber Spyglass is going to tip everything on its head because it's so fucking bananas. And like, <laughs> there's some stuff in that that I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't even know if I understand it, never mind being able to talk about it. But in fairness, there was stuff in, in especially in Northern Lights, I was like, I don't understand this, especially when it got into all like the religious stuff and we like talked it out and stuff. But no, the subtle knife has been 
very unique in the sense that there's lots of loss and trauma and it's uh, not giving us a kick up the ass to be more careful because we've always been careful but it's it's kind of brought some things to the surface in terms of like how do we tackle this particular thing and we normally don't really like i said earlier we don't really plan ahead that much but like with the least stuff we were like we need to do something in sp- we need to talk about this before we do it we need to do something for this and there's been a few other little moments where we've like oh this is a thing like i don't know what we're gonna we probably need to speak about how we're gonna talk about it um and things like that which is interesting yeah there's a lot more nuanced like themes brought through the second book that require more nuance to talk about yeah and have required us to kind of think quite hard about some of our vocabulary as well and that's quite that's an important thing moving forward I think um because so often we just our notes are very simple and we just kind of sometimes your podcast sometimes your podcast is just a bit of a just us spilling our words and thoughts onto a plate and hoping that they make sense and there's been some things that we've hopefully tackled well and I'm sure there'll be some things that you feel that we've missed or that we've not spoken as eloquently about as we would have liked to and so really kind of thinking about how we do that going forwards is going to be interesting but this this second book has definitely made me think a lot harder about stuff than the first book you know (laughs) I use good words (laughs) absolutely I'm just gonna check socials just in case anybody sent us a late email or a late twitter or a late instagram is there anything else on the subtle knife that you want to say rich before we wrap up this episode mary malone is amazing the subtle knife is really fucking cool if you could cut through to a world right now what world would you cut through to oh my god don't ask i'm asking you the interview question (laughs) um i i would definitely cut through to a world that was just Every bit of the world was at least near some kind of body of water. I feel that would be nice. I just love water. It was just a series of many, many small islands. Yeah. I I like Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. You just cut through to Animal Crossing? (laughs) (laughs) I would cut through to my island on Animal Crossing. Oh, my God. You'd have so much gardening to do. I know. I've got so many (laughs) weeds. It'd keep me occupied. But, yeah. Oh, yes. That's what I would do. What about you? I would. I don't know, man. <laughs> I asked you the question. I couldn't think. We ask people, although we ask like everyone we interview, and then it's actually a really difficult question. Yeah, I was just thinking we hadn't talked about the knife much, considering it's a really fucking cool thing. So oh, I was like, yeah. hey, let's talk about worlds that we cut through to. Yeah. And now I can't think. I probably cut through to a world where there was just like sixty percent less cities, so I was like closer to green spaces more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just. Sometimes I would get really fed up of being in London. It's all, I'm very lucky. I live quite close to a park, but like going home for my birthday the other weekend was like, oh my God, everything is so green. Yeah. There's so many hills and fields and trees and stuff. My parents yeah. are very lucky. They live in the Peak District. And so I just, I'd cut through to somewhere that was just a bit greener. Uh, and where we hadn't fucked the planet up yet. Thanks, global warming. Thanks, massive plastic industries. Woo! Can we thank Asriel, even though it's our world? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah no, I feel explosions. that. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. That's, um, that's a good one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of wanted to maybe touch on the knife a bit because we've spoken so much about a lot of the characters, which we love, but title of the book, Subtle Knife. 
I know that you personally resonate quite hard with the idea of the subtle knife. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> Do you want to tell me okay. about it, girl? Uh, yeah, I just, I just love it. Like, I, I don't really have like a specific reason, but I know a lot of people um, love the alethiometer and what the alethiometer does. And don't get me wrong, I'm partial to a bit of alethiometer. <laughs> but, but the knife, I don't know something about it. I think that I think that it's pretty fucking cool. Like, do you know what I mean? There's not like any deep seated reason as to why I love it, but I think that the way that it looks is cool. What it does is amazing. Like how it works, how it was like put together and made and all that kind of stuff. It reminds me a little bit of Buffy. Sorry. In a way of the, um, it was built by these or like it was made by these men that wanted it for a specific reason to like go and steal shit or whatever. But now it's been used for like a much higher purpose. And it makes me think of why the Slayer was made in the first place by like the Slayer was made by these like horrible men that just wanted something to protect them from evil. And now Buffy's the Slayer and she's like fucking badass as shit and doing her own thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of does like I like it when something is made for some made for a shitty reason and then it's used for something else. Um and also I'm getting a tattoo. Yes, Faye wants a subtle knife tattoo and it's very, very exciting. I really hope that the lady that we emailed to go and both get tattoos together on the same day. Yes. Emails back. Yay. So I will show you all when I have it, hopefully. Um but yeah, I just like I fucking love that knife. I love it. It's great. Sorry I'm not more articulate, but I I just don't know why I like there's no like, oh, I resonate with it because of this. It's just like, it's badass as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I get that. See, I feel like I resonate quite hard with the alethiometer because I would always think that I would probably be able to read it as a kid. I really love like small mechanical things. I am a notorious fidget. I would be constantly fiddling with all the different symbols, all the different, um, what are they called? The little cogs on it little wheels yeah like it's just like a very cool idea of an object and also i'm really nosy like i'd love to know things and i love the ideas of symbols and meanings like i love tarot cards i love like anything where you can like read into like some symbolic stuff i think it's really cool i'd say that kind of thing fascinates me and like the knife is also don't get me wrong it's a cool object i wouldn't say no <laughs> partial to a bit of, <laughs> bit of the subtle knife <laughs> but yeah i i kind of love that for you the subtle knife resonates so hard with you because for me it is what it can do is amazing but the object itself was never like as interesting to me as the alethiometer because i'm a very like physical object orientated kind of person yeah, I, I think as well, like, and I know that it's a similar headspace to what you need to read the alethiometer, but like the headspace to use the knife in the way that it's described in the book and like getting into that state of mind to like feel your soul on your fingertips and, and that kind of stuff. I think that's, that's really great. And it gives me witchy vibes. Like when we spoke to Kristen, like when she was talking about how much she loved the knife, that really resonated with me. I was like, that is pretty much how I feel about the knife. Um. Which is fucking cool. Yes. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. We just need a third podcast host that really resonates with the, uh, I don't know, what's the title of the third book? The Amber Spyglass? Some, <laughs> I don't know what that, that could be. I don't know what that is, but we need a third host that likes whatever that is. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, is there anything else we want to 
We want to say. The knife is cool. Spectres are cool. Will is cool. Lyra is cool. Everybody is really cool. That's what I yeah. have to say. The second book is rad. It's rad. <laughs> I've never said rad before. Oh my God. Oh my God. We haven't talked much about Spectres, but I, th- I feel like a lot of this stuff we talked a lot about in the TV show episodes. Mm-hmm. Spectres, devastatingly horrific, but also love them. Yeah, love them as a concept. Yeah. Um, and as a very ominous presence to have in your book and a very real threat to have in your book. Uh, terrified of them if they existed in real life. Very scary, very scary things. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, do you have um I was actually gonna say, do you have like do you have an award to give out for the whole book? And I'm like, it's obviously gonna be Lee, right? For both of us, Lee and Hester. Yeah, probably. Oh, she's thinking. Would it be somebody else? I don't know actually. I was thinking maybe Will. He gets like the best newcomer award. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. technically, I mean, we're a whole but we're you know, finished the book now, but he was new at the beginning and we love him so much now. That's true. That is true. So maybe yeah, maybe I'll give one to Will and you can give one to Lee. Lee gets the like in memoriam oh yeah yeah fair fair yeah i guess that brings us to the end of this little chat about the books we hope you've enjoyed it um if you have any strong feelings about things that we've discussed you have maybe a week to get some mailbag emails in a couple of weeks weeks. lantern slides come and then a lantern slide will be next and then the mailbag so you got a couple of weeks yeah you got a couple of weeks after you hear this to get us an email in so that if you have anything for us to discuss you can do that then do you want to do the review thing yeah if you have enjoyed listening to our podcast so far now that we finished the second book we would love it if you would consider leaving us a review it will really help other people to find the podcast and it just really helps us and it makes us feel really fuzzy inside and as a way of rewarding you for leaving us a positive review we're running a competition so if you leave that review screenshot it and send us an email with that screenshot to herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com That email is your entry into a prize draw where when we hit 50 of those emails, we will pull 10 names out of a hat and nine of you will get some super fun HDM pod bookmarks and the 10th person will get the full HDM pod merch pack, which is bookmarks and stickers. So much fun. Yay. Please. Yeah. Give us five stars and say nice things and make sure to send us a screenshot because we've had a few reviews recently we get notified when we get reviews but we don't get anyone's contact details so we need to know who you are to put you into the competition so please make sure you send us that screenshot and also if you want to tell a friend about us or like give us a shout out on social media that would also be really lovely so yeah we love it so much for listening to this special episode of her dark materials you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at hdm pod and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com you can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk if you want to support us you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod we also have a shop where you can buy all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. 
I'm Fear, and when I'm not talking about the subtle knife, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Fairly, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Fae.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm usually making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and on TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you in two weeks' time, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Subtle knife, and then we talked about how we finished the subtle knife. Bye bye. <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>